Okay, everybody. Um, let's see. Dick Bradford. Can you close that door back there, please? I think all the rest of them are closed. Um, everybody remembers, I think, what we're doing tonight. We're, we're taking one night off of doing the church history, heresies, all that stuff. Um, <clears throat> and rather than take a Sunday service to try to answer questions that were given to me back when we were doing the end times series, we're going to do, we're going to just take those tonight, deal with that tonight, um, leave here completely confused and unable to even find your way to your car. And then we'll pick up next week um, with where we've been. Okay? So let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we're grateful that we can gather here. It's enjoyable to do it, and we pray that you would bless our time together tonight. And hopefully, Lord, um, we, we can learn some things um, as much as possible about um, a difficult subject. So we pray your presence with us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, <clears throat> now, here's the reason that I um, didn't want to do a Sunday, take a Sunday as we'd originally talked about. Um, I got questions from, I think, four, three or four people, which tells me there aren't, you know, a ton of people vitally interested. But, from the ones that did give me questions, I got uh, quite a number that pretty well come, uh, cover the subject. So um, that's why I thought I didn't want to ignore them and not deal with them at all, but um, not do it on Sunday. So here's what I'm going to do. Um, originally, I thought, well, I'll try to combine all these questions and, and some that may double up, but really not very many of them did double up. Um, so I'm going to just go through them as I received them. Um, <clears throat> and we have enough of them that we can't spend a lot of time. But I do want to encourage any um, discussion for the questions that these might prompt. Okay? So um, <clears throat> remember... A number of the questions, by the way, deal with the whole business of the rapture of the church at the end times and when it occurs. And the main argument, if you want to call it that, in today's world is over whether or not the tribulation, which is a period, maybe figurative, maybe not, of seven years, will the church Christians go through that? Will they be raptured prior to that and be spared going through it? Okay, the, that question, and I would say probably today, in today's world, I would hazard a guess that at least more than 50%, I don't know how many, how much more, than 50% probably believe that the church will be raptured out prior to the tribulation, okay? Now, <clears throat> I don't know if that's, I think that's close. I think it's a majority opinion. Um, I don't agree with it. Um, there are a number of these kinds of questions on this whole subject, some of which, or a, a number of which, I don't mean to sound, I don't know how else to put this, they don't matter. Now, I don't mean they don't matter, though I said they don't matter. They're in the Bible, so God thought it was enough, worth enough to talk about. However, he, he seems to have done it in such obscure, mysterious language that it's very difficult to be certain, and I think it is even more unjustified to be dogmatic. This is what it says. I don't think you can hardly do that. 
um, as far as timing and things of that sort. Will there be a rapture? Yes. Will there be a tribulation? Yes. Will there be a judgment? Yes. Will there be a resurrection? Yes. We, you can't deny the events, but the timing is open to speculation. Okay? So, with that backdrop, some of the questions, a number of them, have to do with the rapture. <coughs> um, Revelation 3.10 is, quote, because you've obeyed my command, com my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing or the tribulation that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Here's the question. There are many Bible teachers who use this verse as a means to explain the rapture of the church prior to the tribulation. What are your thoughts concerning this scripture? Very simply, um, to to protect us does not mean to exempt us okay both peter and jude make the statement the lord knows how to deliver the righteous out of temptation it doesn't mean they are never tempted we, we can't be true but he knows how to provide us a way out and so, yes, we may be disturbed and troubled and tormented and pursued and so forth, as the church always has been. But it doesn't mean that we will succumb to it, be destroyed by it, though we will experience it. Okay? Um, there are a lot of scriptures that are taken by the pre-tribulation rapture people and stretched beyond recognizable, <laughs> anything recognizable, okay? That's one of them. <clears throat> um, second, Second Thessalonians, um, that there's a verse in Second Thessalonians, Thessalonians that was change have a different meaning when the Catholic Reformation was going on in the 1600s. It doesn't necessarily mean a great falling away, but could mean the departure of the church. Um, Everybody, I, I think I read it in one of, the past, one of the sermons we looked at. Paul says to the Thessalonians, who thought the, the rapture and the end of times was so imminent that they were just kind of just waiting around for it. Weren't going to work. Um, it's going to happen any day. He said, that can't happen, the return of Christ and so forth. Unless first there is a great falling away. Okay? Now, the clear implication, the clear context is apostatizing. Apostatize is um, no faith. That's literally what the word apostatize mean, means. It is a falling away of the church, likely during. It could be the time of tribulation, that there is a deadening of the church. Then the second coming occurs, okay? Um, Pre-tribulation rapture people who believe in a Western, frankly, American interpretation of everything about the rapture, um, because we've never had any trouble to speak of. We've never had persecution we've never had invade an, an invasion we we've had it easy so <clears throat> i think that contributes to that interpretation but anyway um they like to say that the great falling away they've kind of think they've discovered this lately lately um that great falling away actually means a taking away okay so rather, this can't happen, the second coming of Christ, until first there is a great taking away of the church. Doesn't mean that. Um, Paul's warnings there also have to do with being diligent, hold to the faith, and so forth. Um, his whole point in writing to them is to maintain vigilance and don't slack off. It's, an, it's not a verse that is um, promoting a, a rapture of the church out of trouble, okay? Um, 
here's the second thing that I generally think we have to stick with. Um, well, there's two things. They have to do with interpreting the Bible. Number one, the basic rule we always need to use. Nine times out of ten in Scripture, every subject that's there is mentioned frequently. But they're not always mentioned with the same clarity. Sometimes they are, they never contradict each other. But sometimes they're very clear. Sometimes they're not. The rule is the clearest passage on any subject is the touchstone passage. Or that's the lens through which you look at other passages on the same subject but with less clarity. Do I need to repeat that? If you got five passages, one of them is crystal clear and the other four refer to it but they're a little fuzzy and they aren't quite as clear, the rule is you take what that clear one clearly means and then you apply that in interpreting the less clear ones. Anybody not understand that? I don't, I don't mean you're being dumb, but... Um, so, Jesus said, he's the one who said there will be such a falling away um, that he says, will I find faith when I return? And the Greek language used there begins with a little two-letter word that's pronounced may. Um, and it, 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 it signifies a, an answer that assumes a negative answer. I mean, a, a question that assumes a negative answer. Okay? So when Jesus said, will I find faith on the earth? It has may to start the sentence, meaning, no, I'm not going to find faith on the earth. The answer is going to be no. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I would answer that, that I think we're seeing, there's no question that we're seeing a massive falling away and decay and deterioration and collapse of Western Christianity. Western Christianity has been the foundation of world Christianity for 2,000 years. But, now I'm interpreting the word great. I take great to mean worldwide Africa South America Southeast Asia are exploding with true revival and true Christianity um, one quick illustration the United Methodist Church is a global denomination the Western part when I say Western, I'm talking Europe, America, especially England, English speaking. Um, they, standing on their own, would have voted at least 12 years ago, if not 16 years ago. They meet every four years for a worldwide conference. They would have voted at least back in the 90s, nearly, to um, bless same-sex marriages and ordain homosexual pastors, okay? Now they had a big, they thought it was gonna be the final get over the hump vote in 18, 2018. In 2018, if you broke down the vote of the United Methodist General Conference, the English speaking Western Christianity world approved it. Yes, we will ordain homosexuals. But they lost the global vote. So the action was defeated. And it was defeated because of the Africans and the South Americans and the Southeast Asians who know better and have better religion. And they, they you know, are just, shall we say, backward enough to believe the Bible. And they said no. This is wrong. So, I, God hasn't checked with me yet about this, but I can't believe 
that God, who certainly knows what's going on and has a real move of heart religion and conversion and turning to God in great swaths of whole continents is going to drop the hammer and pull the plug on everything because the American and British and European church has gone to pot. I think the great falling away um, will be global. Um, and we are seeing the front edge of it in the Western world, which has been the cradle of Christianity, um, if that makes sense. So, um, unfortunately, I believe, who knows how long it takes, but the, the rot always spreads. Um, you know, abscess spreads, and um, we will see it. But at any rate, I think that <clears throat> now um, we're seeing it regionally and in, in what affects us, but not yet globally. Let's see. Back to interpreting Scripture, interpret it obscure passages are less clear through the clearest. Second, um, if it's new, it's not true. Okay? If it's true, it's not new. Now, when it comes to interpreting Scripture, an interpretation of Scripture that literally we have the writings. I have, of course, it's nicely bound and it's printed in English, but um, I have some commentaries on my shelf from John Chrysostom written in the fours, the 400s, maybe even early or late 300s, okay? Now, if the guys, so we have those writings, not a lot of them, but we have them. If 300, 400, 500, 600, 700, 800, 900, 1,000 A.D., 1,200, 1,400, and then speaking specifically to some end-time stuff, 1849, We have this new interpretation. Rapture will take all Christians out before the tribulation. Aside from the contradiction of within Scripture, that's good enough reason to me say I'm not buying it. You're not going to tell me that 1,800 years of St. Augustine and Thomas Aquinas and Macarius and... Cyprian, Tertullian, never saw this, but John Darby did in England. I just don't believe it. Um, a very, very safe way to arrive at truth or to check truth is a, a four-legged, you could say a four-legged chair, okay? But there is a hierarchy to it. One leg, all legs are in, a, in order of importance. First is Scripture, okay? But Scripture all by itself, please understand me here, it's dangerous. If you just take 500 people, some very knowledgeable, some no knowledge, give them a Bible, and there's no, ask no questions, just read the Bible you're going to come out possibly with about 500 different, different opinions, okay? Um, in the New Testament, how did they check out truth? By reading the Old. Paul comes into Berea, and he starts telling them about Jesus, and he's the Savior, and he's, he's the Messiah, and you need to believe in him. And so what did the people in Berea do? They got their Bibles, which was not the New Testament, the Old, and it says they searched those scriptures eagerly and daily to see if these things were so. So we have to have, of course, a fundamental source of authority. The second leg of this, it's called a quadrilateral, really. Scripture, 
tradition. Now, tradition, by that I mean, what does the 2,000 years of church history and Christians, what do that whole mass of people, what do they believe this verse means, that doctrine teaches, whether it's the Trinity or whatever it, el- whatever it is. We, we, you know, we question, we go back and see what did the earliest people who maybe, we have writings of people who were less than, less than 75 years removed from the Apostle John who we think died around nine, uh, 95 to 100 A.D. It's the same as, well, what did, the early, what did the founders of America think? Well, it hasn't been thousands of years, but it's been enough. But they had, we, we had their books. So go back and look at it. Same thing with Scripture. What, what did the church, what's the church always believed? Um, fundamentally about these doctrinal or these scriptural doctrines. Third, reason is the third leg, as it were. That means basic logical approach to scripture, to doctrine, such as their basic rules. One, God's not nuts. Okay, God is reasonable. He is sane. He makes sense. In fact, he created us to be able to think like he thinks or he couldn't communicate with us. Now, generally, God, is, he's a linear thinker. He thinks from point A to point B. If A and B are true, C is true. That's how God thinks. What a, what, what a coincidence. So do we, because he made us like that. Okay? So we're supposed to use our brains. We know God never contradicts himself. So an interpretation of some scripture that says, boy, he said this here, but this is completely opposite. It's only apparent. It's only in the way I'm reading it. I don't understand it. Maybe I never can explain it, but I can say one thing I'm dead sure about. God never contradicts himself. So reason says, if you come up with this interpretation of a verse that contradicts that one, I don't know maybe what this one does mean, but I know what it does mean. It doesn't mean what you said it meant because it contradicts this. That's reason, okay? Fourth and final, experience. What's your own personal experience? For instance, the Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, okay? That's scripture. Tradition has always taught that as, the, as a one of them, number of formulas, as it were, to how a person becomes a believer. Okay? It's faith, repentance, confession of sin, turning away from it, and so forth. Okay? We're, on, we're in line there. Reason makes perfect sense. God says, you do this, I'll do this. I'll keep my word. Fourth, you knelt down someplace or sat in your car or whatever, someplace, and you confessed your sins to God yourself. And you trusted him that he would forgive you, keep his word. And your heart was flooded with grace and peace and joy. And the sky over your head was clear. Shame was gone. There was a new sense of God's presence in your heart. By experience, you confirmed what reason, tradition, and scripture taught. Okay? Now, the last thing I say, there is a hierarchy there. Scripture is, of course, ultimate. If tradition bumps its head against Scripture, which it does in many cases, as the church itself got corrupted down through the the centuries, you junk tradition and go with Scripture. If reason is even less, because reason is human. And there are a lot of people that ain't got a lot of sense. (laughs) Okay? And you have to recognize that. Not everybody can think clearly. There are different levels of reasoning capacity. Then the least, not that it's not confirmatory, but the least confirmatory aid to discovering truth 
is experience because that's emotions and that can easily uh, be, we can be carried about with, with emotional excesses or whatever. That can depend on a lot of things. Temperament, upbringing, weirdness, just, you know. Um, so you can't trust emotion and experience um, as much as you can clear-eyed reasoning, tradition, and of course, scripture. Does that make any sense? Okay, so those are things that have to come into play um, when you um, interpret scripture and questions such as this one, the rapture, the end times, what, what's going to happen, okay? Um, so, uh, let's see. <clears throat> Quickly, um, this question. I've, I've heard teaching that Enoch, because he walked with God, is a type of the church, and just as he was taken up before the great flood, so too will be, we will be taken up before the tribulation. Do you have any thoughts concerning the typology here? Typology... Um, by the word, by, by the way, typology is probably one of the areas where people can run amok the easiest. Um, and so, most typology, I mean types, illustrations that that um, well, crossing the Red Sea, okay, crossing the Red Sea is a type of conversion. I escaped the land of bondage. It's a miraculous. God work and on the other side I'm free of slavery okay we have verification that that's a type because the scripture itself uses it where the scripture doesn't establish something is a type we better be very careful thinking it does so that the idea that Enoch, who would have been thousands of years before the flood, or I don't know how long, but a good long time before the flood, God took him away, is somehow a type that the church will be saved from the tribulation is an, another just, that's wacky. Okay? Um, it, there's no justification for even making a type out of that. Um, so, but but it is used by people who are pushing an agenda and and pushing a you know their doctrine. Another typology question, um, which this is good. The, I do want to say, um, Alicia wrote a bunch of these, and I appreciate them, and they're well written. And I can say that they're stupid, while not saying she's stupid. Okay, <laughs> but here is another one that is stupid. A typology question. Joseph, now, this part is right. Like Joseph is a type of Christ, and he was. Stephen used that in his sermon in Acts 6 and 7. So there again, Scripture establishes that Joseph was a type of Christ who saved his brethren. Okay? Um, but some say Joseph was a type of Christ and was the and the answer to his brothers was to save them you know during the seven year famine Joseph's bride a Gentile bride did not have to endure the famine but was provided for throughout the entire time is this an example of how the church will be provided for during the tribulation or an example of what we may not have to endure so there's really two maybe we'll go through the tribulation but like Joseph's wife um she didn't starve to death in the famine, or you got clear out of it. This is another one, you, really, that you just chalk up to nuts, and then you move on to the next one. Um, let's see here. Revelation says things will get so bad, but also Matthew, Jesus said it in Matthew, things will get so bad that God has to shorten the time of the tribulation because even his elect wouldn't be able to stand. Um, and I'm not done yet. By the way, that's those from the lips of Jesus. That the times will be so difficult that even the elect, if it, if it were not for the days being shortened, even the elect would not endure. There aren't supposed to be any elect here. They're all whisked away out of trouble. So what in the world is Jesus even talking about? That well, I'm going to shorten the days so they can make it. They're not supposed to be here. There's another really good torpedo against that pre-tribulation stuff. 
But the real question written here is, um, how will we encourage non-believers to become believers during days like that, where they will see what the cost is? Um, and, and second, then, will young Christians, baby Christians, ever be able to get through that? My answer to that would be this. Um, every time there's been a higher cost to become a Christian, it's almost always produced growth in the Christian church, even though the cost was higher. Um, second, we know that um, whatever state of Christianity we might be in, um, we see a lot of it in the New Testament. The Thessalonians were brand new Christians. And Paul said, you've gone through heavy persecution. And they were literally months old question, uh, Christians. Six weeks ago, they got saved. And Paul writes back from Athens. He says, I know you're going through terrible persecution, but I'm so proud of you. You're standing fast. Your faith is flourishing. Well, we have examples everywhere of people who are green, but they're standing straight and God took care of them um, and you have again that verse of scripture the Lord knows how to deliver those out of temptation so um, he will strengthen us and keep us okay um, <clears throat> let me keep moving here just a couple a couple here um, this is a good question um I'll, sum, I'll summarize it this way, um, that Satan, Satan is bound. Does Satan being bound mean he's bound? Meaning, um, we still sense and feel and see Satan's deceiving influence and power. How can that be true if he is bound? Now, Got to go back of that to this question. The Bible speaks in some of the end times passages about a period of time, a thousand years, when Satan will be bound. And during that time, um, Jesus reigns on earth in a perfect government for a thousand years. Then at the end of that time, Satan is loosed. He, once again, the scripture says he's, he deceives the nations. And then they're all destroyed by the word of God uh, from God's mouth of fire um, at the end of time. Okay? Um, the whole, this question, which is a good question, turns on whether or not the thousand years is literal. Now, the Bible is filled with um, things that are clearly literal, things that aren't clearly literal. And sometimes we have, and, and I want to say, we have to be careful if we don't understand it, or worse, if we don't like it, then we label it figurative we can't do that but where we have what I think well here you go back to tradition um, where you have a long long history of of um, similar interpretation those are figurative um, you have maybe a more um, clear, I guess you'd say, example of figurative language is the, and I, I pray that um, it isn't a requirement to get into heaven to understand more than three words out of Daniel 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12, okay? If you think Revelation makes your eyes roll around your head there it's almost exclusively weeks okay um, something there's reading it today there Jesus time of the Messiah 62 weeks out of a total there's 69 weeks and then there's a 70th week and I haven't got a clue what that means 
I don't have the slightest idea. What, all those weeks, week and a half, three days, three and a half days, I haven't got any idea. Now, Peter said, which I clearly believe is not a formula. Peter said, with the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That is not a formula, meaning a day always equals a thousand years. It just means God is eternal. He And he lives, though he speaks to us within time, past, present, future, Technically, it's hard to grasp. God doesn't live in past, present, future. He's in perpetual future, uh, uh, present. He, he's the one who made time. He actually created the concept of time and said at the end time, says, time will be no more. So he's not, Peter isn't giving us, like a lot of people say, these secret numbers that are in the Bible. Um, it's a figure of speech. We say, you know, we, I don't think we realize how often all of us use figures of speech. We use them probably hundreds of times a day. And we just don't even realize it. That's, and, and listen, this Bible, like Wesley said, it's a plain book written to plain people. And so God uses the kind of figures of speech, illustrations, and stuff that, that we use. Yeah. I, I think all the numerology, you know, that is kind of a fad today is um, maybe the British word, <laughs> balderdash, um, <laughs> might be a good word. Um, we do think that there seem to be a few numbers that occur um, like the number seven, for instance, people will say this is the, the number of perfection. I don't know where it says that. I think it's a significant, significant number. God's always using it. Um, and it occurs frequently, but there isn't any place that I know of in Scripture where it says, I use seven all the time because it's the number of perfection. Um, and... Um, a lot of that numerology stuff does come from the belief that the Bible, you know, has, has I, I guess, layers of meaning. That there are, <clears throat> there's the obvious, surface, literal. There's hidden spiritual meanings that are type, types and stuff. And then that there are all of these secret kind of revelations available only to those who can pierce through all of these numbers and figure out all these numbers. Um, that isn't, that's not like God. If he's writing a book to plain, simple-hearted, minded people, he strives by the people he used to write it and so forth um, he strives to be plain, understandable, clear. It's God himself that prompted Paul, inspired Paul to say to the Corinthians, I would rather speak five words that you can understand than 10,000 that you can't. So a God who believes that is not going to give a bunch of secretive conspiracy numbers that you know, you've got to figure out, and then it gives you, it's almost like, um, it's almost like Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, you know, was the very first heresy that the church ran into, but they believed in a, a super high, select, um, rare, um, 
knowledge that only a few people had, and that was salvation. You're saved by this special knowledge. Gnosis means knowledge. And so um, there was even, there was an arrogance about it too. It was, we've discovered a meaning that the rest of you people don't know. Um, and that was a really bad heresy that hit the early church and it's even f written against by Paul, by especially Paul and John uh, particularly. So I think that all of that, all of that kind of stuff is not worth messing with. And, and again, who says four is the number of, what, what, what's it reported to be? But but I mean, I you know what I mean. I've read, I've read some of that stuff. But it but it, it's really, who says so? You know what I mean? Okay, I can say, you know, e eleven is the perfect number. Who's going to challenge me? You know what I mean? It just makes no sense. Um, and again, I think God's really practical. He wants us to get it, and he doesn't care about much else. He wants us to understand enough. He's given us enough in Scripture that we're without excuse as to what's right and wrong and what it takes to get right with God, okay? And he's not too worried about hiding secret, you know, numbers. Um, <clears throat> now, back to Satan, Satan, though. For those who are, man, I hate to get into all this, and I don't, but those who are called ah millennialists, people who do not believe in a literal thousand years reign, they think that's figurative. And they also do not think that it occurs after the return of Christ. They believe that it, we are in the thousand year rule or reign of Christ now since Calvary, since the day of resurrection. Now, I find a lot about that theory um, attractive. Uh, Martin Luther, some, uh, there again, some of the heavy-duty scholar, saint people of, you know, five, six, seven hundred years ago um, believed that the resurrection, you know, struck a dead, deathly blow, and it says he rose from the dead with the keys of death and hell in his hands. So I think it's reasonable, at least, to look at that as the defeat of Satan occurred on that day, that if Jesus has the keys to his house, okay, um, that the thousand years is literal, not literal, it's figurative, that he is, this is why the gospel has grown at the rate that it has grown, is because Satan is bound. Now, I think... Um, it's a reasonable question then to say, if he's bound, then wouldn't he? Wouldn't we not even experience his presence? I don't know how good of an illustration this is, but um, to be restricted um, doesn't mean that your influence is completely canceled. Um, What's his name? El Chapo? He's in jail a long time. But he kept... Mobsters know how to be in jail and still run the mob. Um, I think it makes sense that um, in the unleashing of the final act of salvation, Jesus and the power of the resurrection um, and the crushing of the serpent's head, that his um, influence is lessened, um, not gone, but that d being bound does not contradict that. Um, so, but that's for, that's what the awe millennialists, the people who don't believe there's a physical, literal thousand year reign of Jesus. Um, on earth and I I think there's a lot attractive personally about the all millennialist position another reason that I think that um, 
I know you have some passages of Scripture. They all don't mesh together um, necessarily, but Paul, speaking to the Thessalonians, clearly makes the point. He, he says, at the return of Christ, with flaming angels, taking retribution on the wicked, destroying. There's, there's no, in, in the wording of more than one case in the two letters to the Thessalonians, it's a, and he says, without warning, um, <clears throat> a cataclysmic return. Peter also says virtually the same things, that his return will be the um, elements will melt with a fervent heat, wicked will be destroyed, judgment, so forth. There doesn't seem to be a long, drawn-out process of all of these different events. It's just, and all of them, no warning at all. None. Which goes against the notion of figuring it all out and kind of realizing otherwise. Now that's one thing that's common no matter what, you, whether it's Jesus, Revelation, Peter, Paul, doesn't make any difference. It's so sudden that you don't even return from the field you're in. Or, you know, I mean it's sudden. That can't be forgotten in all of these schemes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, would you say, so if Satan's bound, Jesus took the keys to death or of hell and all that kind of stuff, so is the reign of Christ the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts? Is that what you would say the reign of Christ is now? Yes. He, his presence is here. You know, he says, if I go away, I'll send an, a comfort to you. Um, and the Spirit of Christ is here through the Spirit, the, the spirit of God. Um, bringing to remembrance all those things um, that I said and so forth. Convicting the world's sin, drawing all men to God. Um, so yes, Jesus' presence is still here on earth through. Yet, you, we all know, there's never been a time in the history of the world where the presence of God wasn't everywhere anyway. You know, he's omnipresent. So there's never been a time when he wasn't here. Um, Again, part of this, too, is God has to use our language. He, he condescends to, it's, it, this is not a good illustration, but, you know, we've all, you can, take, you can take any of you here who seemingly are reasonable, articulate, thinking human beings, okay, and bring in, bring in one of our, you know, six-month-old or three-month-old, our first grandchild, okay? And we're no longer talking like the Encyclopedia Britannica. It's, oh, you, 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 you know, that's kind of what God has to do to us. He has to speak baby talk to us because it's all we can understand. So he puts things, um, he uses lots of metaphors, I, would, I wish I could gather you under my wings. Okay, so that means God has wings. No, he doesn't. It's a figure of speech of which there are billions. So we use that kind of discernment in determining what's literal, what's a figure of speech every day. Yeah. Well, another thought I had is, go ahead. I was just going to say, that, you know, after the flood, you know, they came out of, the, out, of, out of the ark, God said, never again will I curse the ground because of human, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. You know, that's the one thing. And also, in you know, the garden, you know, Satan didn't make anybody sin. You know, he'd be tempted. Yeah. Yeah. 
sin in this world, we all get burned to death. And so mankind doesn't have a good record. You know, for sin is really our fault. In a sense, I don't want to get too far nuts here, but there's enough corruption in the human heart throughout the world that the devil could probably go on a long vacation to Cabo San Lucas and we'd still carry it out because the heart and, and that scripture, when God said that as Noah came out of the ark, he promised I won't curse the world, I won't flood it again, you know, I won't destroy it with like this. Um, but he's saying, but the problems are not going to go away because from infancy is what the Hebrew word, the inclination, and it is that very phrase is put into, like the Church of England, a lot of ancient uh, statements of faith that the inclination of the heart is only evil and that continually, okay? It's all the thoughts of the heart, he said, are always evil all the time, okay? So the human heart is fully capable of producing a Hitler, a, a Stalin, because that's the wickedness of the heart. Second, um, I don't know if this is hair splitting or what. Satan being bound, there none of his doesn't say anything about any of his angels. There we don't know how many, but there are millions, I guess, of demons that are his angels. It doesn't say that they are restricted. Um, so to me. And again, this is, if, if I'm wrong, we're still going to heaven, okay? So are you. I mean, it, it, it's not a heaven or hell point. Um, but um, I think that it, we, know that we, we know that apparently um, there is, <clears throat> let's put it this way, we know that evil won't be gone even if the Satan being bound for a thousand years is literal. Because it says, after that thousand years, Satan will be released and he will go out and deceive all the nations and, a, and the hordes of people will gather together against God. So the human heart will still be so wicked that while Satan is supposedly bound to the point that he doesn't even have any influence, instantly upon his release, they're right back hating God. So... Um, that's why I think that's another reason I don't know about the, the literal binding to be interpreted as all influence squelched. Yeah. So how do you fit the Antichrist into that part where Satan was bound? Yeah. The fits I'd really like to answer that, but it's getting close to... <laughs> Here's the thing. The Antichrist, see, I don't know, here, and, and partly I'm up here telling you what I don't know, but um, the Antichrist is spoken of in Scripture in different ways. One is as if it seems that it's a person. But John says the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world. said that in 1 John. Um, so the spirit of Antichrist, honestly, and this goes along, let's say this, some think that Antichrist and that man of sin that um, Thessalonians, where Paul writes, be revealed. Um, I know some good thinkers who feel that it's not a person. It's, it is the wickedness of the human heart personified, as it were, even where it says he sits in the temple of God and um, pretends to be God, if somehow we could get a spiritual magnifying glass and look at the human heart, there is, there is a man of sin in here that says, in the temple, which is this temple and this heart, that says, I'm God. 
Well, every sinner proclaims their independence of God and declares their own godness. And as best we can tell, Satan's fall was a result of him saying, I will be God. And so we, uh, born depraved before redemption, we reflect, um, the, we reflect the image of Satan. And salvation is to restore the image of God to us. So I don't know if there will be even will be a literal person that we can look at and say that is the Antichrist because the spirit of Antichrist is already operating in this world all the time. Yeah. That word doesn't even appear in Revelation. A lot of people think Antichrist is Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but that's true. Not only the spirit, but many antichrists. So the idea, you know, we could all lose count of how many people have been named as the antichrist. Probably the most popular one, though, is the pope. Okay? I mean, you go clear back into the Middle Ages, pope was the antichrist. Martin Luther, he was sure the pope was the antichrist. And every single pope that's come along is supposedly the antichrist. Hillary Clinton's high, high up there. Um, but I remember, listen, I've read FDR, um, Kissinger, um, you know, it's just, there's all kinds of names of people that are supposed to be the Antichrist. And here I am saying, I'm not so sure there's a Antichrist. It's just a spirit and bunches of them. Yeah. It's the beast that uh, severed a grievous wound but healed. Yeah, well, no, and then the beast. It sounds like it's talking about two different entities or whatever. Like one will give the power to the beast or the beast will give the power to the one who suffered the great loss. And then it's the beast and the false prophet. And, but there are also, there's another beast. It says a bur- uh, beast that rises out of the sea and yeah. a beast that rises out of the earth. Um, I haven't got a, <laughs> listen, you came to the wrong place. Um, I haven't got a clue. And some of it too. Some of a lot of a lot of Daniel is already fulfilled. It talks about the the, you know, the ram with two horns and a goat and a coming from the west. It's it's Alexander the Great, it's the Medes and the Persians, it's the Romans that follow them. Um, a lot of the revelation things talk about um, the city of, of what seven hills and ten uh, kings and so forth. Um, there's much that I think, again, going back to Daniel, which is, of course, much earlier, is already fulfilled. And so another kind of default position we seem to take is that virtually nothing in Scripture is being fulfilled and we're, all, we're looking for all this stuff to happen. I think a vast majority of it's already happened. Not the end times, but um, much of what some of the pr- prophecies are, I think has already occurred. There's only, frankly, um, some of the very best Bible commentators I've ever read, um, especially looking at the Old Testament, there's one, there's one vision, one prophecy that everyone says there's no way in the world that this has been fulfilled yet. No way in the world. Anybody guess what it is? Zachariah. Pardon me? Zachariah well, I wasn't thinking of that one, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ezekiel 37 and 38, or 38 and 39. Gog and Magog and all that. There, there is no place in history where that nothing can be construed to be fulfilling of that prophecy. I think of um, where Israel is attacked by countries all around it, and it seems to indicate that five sixths is it or three fifths? I can't remember. Of the invaders will die on the mountains of Israel, 
and it said there'll be seven months burying the dead and then they'll have crews that'll go around putting a marker by a bone and it I think it does it end up seven years it says to cleanse the land um, I, I've never seen any commentator say anything but that's there's no th nothing in history lines up with that so there's one that and I, I look at that and I think okay you're, you're ringed right now. Israel's got Syria, and they've got Iran, um, and they've got, of course, Russia. Um, they got Iraq. They are ringed. If you've read much lately, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be a prophet here today, and it won't take much to be a prophet. Israel is now denying this, but you know it's true, that they've they are working on plans to take out Iran's nuclear facilities, no matter how deep they're buried or whatever else, because they know it's the end of their life. They'll do it. I still remember when Syria, you know, was trying to build power plants, nuclear power plants, and those were removed from the face of the earth. And they did the same thing with Iraq. Um, but I look at 38 and 39 of Ezekiel and think, I can see where the the nations around Israel will gather together and go after them, and they'll wish they hadn't. Okay, um, so we have to remember that too. Some things are fulfilled already. Some, of course, aren't yet. Now I haven't gotten to any of yours. Um, but anyway, <coughs> but no, some of some of them I did answer. <coughs> um, let me see if, here's one um, that, that you obviously heard from someone and wrote, was one of the purposes of the flood to rid the earth of the Nephilim, the fallen angels, okay? Nephilim are not fallen angels. Nephilim are just giants. And um, when it talks about the Nephilim uh, seeing the, the sons of God seeing the daughters of the Nephilim and whatever, all that. That's not some, like, um, what, space marriage or, you know. It, it's just the giants. And it says the sons of God married, you know, the sons of man. And it says they became, they became giants. I think it means that the the people of God intermingled with the unbelievers and having spiritual light but being wicked, those are spiritually difficult people to ever win and they are great tools of the devil. Um, but that there's nothing to the notion that it was some sort of, because um, that really comes from Roman and Greek um, pantheon you know that that the gods married came down and had relations and had children with you know humans so anyway um so don't believe that okay <laughs> um okay what's the last thing i was gonna say here um it was really profound too um now i can't remember it um anyway well any last questions before we go? We've got about four minutes. Um, yeah. Yeah, what? Read it to me real quick. Well, I, th I think the only thing that that can be is the elements melting with the fervent heat and God destroying the earth that we now live in and replacing it with uh, new heavens, new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't mind um, acknowledging some of that. I honestly, I don't have a clue. I, do, I just don't know what in the world it means. Yeah, but um, 
I don't know how to interpret it, you know. Okay. Anybody else? What? I said I'm sure I can come up with something. <laughs> well, I'll wait until you start to put your hand and then, then I'll close in prayer. So, <clears throat> okay. That it? Okay, I will start back up where we were last week. I can't remember where. I think we're about 800 A.D. with Charlemagne and all that. Weren't we? Is that it? Okay. Okay. Let's pray. We'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, <clears throat> plenty of things we're reminded that we don't know and they're just too shrouded for us to understand completely. Um, so Lord, in the end though, all we need to know is what you require of us to be just, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. That's how we get to heaven. We may not know any of the rest of this, but we can walk with you. So I pray that you would help us keep doing that faithfully. Dismiss us with your grace. Keep us safe as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.